Welcome to the Bridgeway Church Podcast. My name is David Bowden, and every week I sit down with one or several members of our church staff and host a conversation about how Bridgeway is seeking to fulfill its mission as the Church of Jesus Christ here in our city. If you are a member of Bridgeway, we hope this helps you more deeply engage with what God is doing in our midst. And if you aren't a part of Bridgeway, we hope you feel welcome and that our discussions may lead to more Christ-glorifying ministry in your own context. Let's jump in. All right, well, welcome everyone to the Bridgeway Podcast. We thank you so much for joining us. We are continuing our series today on how to read the Bible. We have looked at how to read uh, biblical narrative and how to read the law. And uh, today we are going to be looking at how to read wisdom literature. So joining uh, joining me again is uh, Sam Storms. And uh, apparently we were just chatting off the air. Uh, about 25 years ago, you taught a class on the wisdom literature and uh, dug up some old notes for us. So that's helpful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Refreshing my memory. Yeah, a exactly. Bit. That's all. Yeah, I was asking you uh, if you remember what the class was. You're like, no, <laughs> it was too long ago, 25 years ago or so. At so, least that long. Yeah. So uh, hopefully this will be a good refresher for, for yeah. you and uh, definitely a teaching moment for me. So I'm excited to, to learn and, and see what you have to, to say. Uh, so for, for you, what what are, is there any debate around what in, what the wisdom books are or is it pretty standardized? Because I know like when you read narrative, it's like, that's obviously narrative. Right. But when it comes to wisdom, is it debated or what books would that include? Well, uh, maybe this just be a little backup reminder to our people about generally how the Old Testament books are looked at. Usually divided into categories of three. Mm -hmm. There's the law, or the Torah, which we spent an entire podcast talking about. Mm -hmm. The Pentateuch, first five books. Then there are the prophets, um, uh, and we're going to do a segment on prophecy Mm -hmm. um, later on at some point. Uh, There are the former prophets, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings, and then the latter prophets, which are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then all the minor prophets. Mm -hmm. And then the third category are what are called the writings. Um, and this is a, it's a strange collection because these books don't all share the same characteristics. Mm -hmm. Um, in the writings, you have things, the list is Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Ruth, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Daniel, Lamentations, and Chronicles. Yeah. Very different. We're talking about a mix. Yeah. Yeah. But within that group of the writings, there are five books that are oftentimes either referred to as wisdom literature or poetic literature. Mm-hmm. And those are the first five I mentioned, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Right. So those are the, the primarily the books that we classify as wisdom literature. I, it's interesting. I was thinking back on my 45 years now of, of preaching and teaching, and I think I've done more teaching and preaching in the wisdom literature than in any of the other books of the Old Testament. Really? Yeah, I've, I've preached through Job a couple of times, um, preached through Ecclesiastes. Boy, that was a journey. Yeah. Uh, wow. Um, obviously, I preached through most of the Psalms, all of Proverbs, did Proverbs here at Bridgeway mm-hmm. not long ago, have not yet preached through Song of Solomon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I'd like to, <laughs> but... You know, that's a challenge. It that's a challenge. for another day. But yeah. So typically when we think of wisdom literature, more times than not, we're thinking of Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. Okay. But it's important to understand from the beginning that there's a, there's a differentiation in kinds of wisdom literature, or kinds of wisdom, perhaps I should say. Um, 
So, for example, there's the, the most common that, that all of you who are listening to this will, will, will know about. It's what we call proverbial wisdom. Mm. That's typically the Proverbs. These are these short, pithy statements or aphorisms that, that are designed to um, kind of describe how life in general works, all things being equal. Um, if this happens, then this will follow. Mm-hmm. But they're not hard and fast rules, and we can talk more about that in just a moment. Uh, so that they're designed to kind of condense human experience and give us a perspective on the most effective way to live. Mm. And then there's what's called speculative wisdom, which is more like what we find in Job and Ecclesiastes. It's like, uh, why are we here and why do we suffer and what does life mean and where is it going? Mm. Um, and so those two kinds of wisdom are found uh, in these five books. And it's, uh, it's obviously helpful to keep those distinctions in mind. Yeah. So when you say, when you say speculative wisdom... I think that probably has some connotations, um, some of which are intended, maybe. Uh, well, another word that is often used by scholars is contemplative wisdom. Mm. Contemplative in the sense like, you know, you, you you sit on the side of a hill and say, what's the meaning of life? Right. And uh, why is there evil? And am I suffering because I've sinned? Or, you know, the kind of things that Job had to deal with. Right. Well, I think about, you know, Kohelet, you know, the, the author of Ecclesiastes, and I think about... Job's friends, and they're sure. they're all kind of doing their own speculations Absolutely. about why does the universe work this way? Why is Job suffering? Why do bad things happen to good people? And they're all throwing their speculations up there. And just because it's written in the Bible doesn't mean necessarily that that is the wholesale truth that we're supposed to take out of it, because the friends, for instance, in Job are making right. speculations about Job's situation. Bad speculations. Bad speculations, right. <laughs> yeah. And so is that kind of what you is that what you mean by speculations? Are there other yeah. sides of that? Okay. Yeah, that's primarily it. Uh, but again, I don't want to use the word speculation in a pejorative sense. Right. I mean, there's Ecclesiastes sounds like speculative wisdom, but it's also truth. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's not very pleasant truth in mm-hmm. Ecclesiastes, right. but... Um, Gosh, who knows what that book means? <laughs> I'm serious. It, that's a challenge. Yes. Um, but again, it's also important to remember that wisdom is not confined to the so-called wisdom books. Mm-hmm. Uh, you find wisdom all through uh, the Bible, Old and New Testament. I mean, for example, um, wisdom, the word wisdom is used almost synonymous with the word skill. Mm-hmm. So, for example, when the artisans of the tabernacle uh, were getting ready to do their work, it says the Lord put it within them a heart of wisdom. Right. Um, military commanders were granted wisdom, uh, uh, prophets, kings, leaders, and so on, judges. Right. Uh, so wisdom is a is something that's pervasive throughout all of Scripture, but there are, like I said, what we said, a handful of these books that are uniquely designed to uh, address that particular subject. Yeah, and isn't it isn't it, I think it's in Proverbs, early in Proverbs as well, where whenever we see God creating the world, it says that he did it through wisdom. Oh, yeah. That wisdom was there present with him, and it's through wisdom that he created everything. So our world is ordered by wisdom. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting portion of Proverbs that throws people, because when you read it, you almost get the feeling <laughs> that he's talking about another person of the Godhead. Right. But Until he says you, that he's called, he called wisdom forth. Yeah. Yeah. Until you realize that it's simply a figure of speech called right. personification. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's just like when Paul in Romans 8 talks about the natural creation groaning. Mm-hmm. Or in the Psalms where it describes the hills are rejoicing or the mountains are clapping their hands. Yeah. 
So don't people shouldn't be thrown by that. Right, right. Okay. And so when we talk about, we've kind of outlined wisdom literature, so kind of what are some of the confines of it, but then we've also said that it goes beyond these five books. It's present in other ways. It can even refer to skill or the characteristic by which God created the world. Um, so we kind of talked about some literary arenas in which wisdom can exist, but what is wisdom? When we look at the Bible, like what is wisdom? Because uh, I mean, I think immediately of like the tree of the knowledge of good and evil right at the mm-hmm. beginning of the Bible. I know that whenever um, Psalm or Genesis three describes the serpent as crafty, that's that that word crafty uh, is often found in wisdom literature, and so it's mm-hmm. like it seems like wisdom is a prevailing topic of the Bible. So when we think about wisdom, biblical wisdom, what are we talking about? Yeah, I, two things come immediately to mind. One is. And this is probably, I, I suppose, the secular definition of wisdom as well. Okay. We would find in the world today, but it's also found in Scripture as the most effective means to achieve the best ends. Hmm. So, you know, knowledge is simply having, uh, possessing information. Wisdom, and again, this is this is something you hear regularly. <clears throat> wisdom is how to make use of that information to accomplish whatever goal it is you have in view most effectively and most efficiently. Wisdom is knowledge lived out well. Yeah. But then the more spiritual, biblical concept of wisdom would be, it's that insight into the way of life and the decision-making process that would enable you to make the best of your life to the glory of God. Hmm. So it's not just um, what are the best means to accomplish uh, the highest ends, because that can the ends in view might be morally questionable, mm-hmm. uh, and even the means might be. It's it's kind of morally indifferent. Oh sure, but yep. I'm not I'm not talking about a morally indifferent form of wisdom, uh, which basically just reduces to efficiency. Right. We're talking about godly wisdom, which is uh, how can I most effectively live for the glory of Jesus? Mm. How can I? make use of the resources and the knowledge God has given me to grow up, to look more and more like him. So, um, you know, there's a, I'm just thinking just off the top of my head, I'm just reminded, I'm going to turn to it real quickly, <clears throat> what Paul says about it in, about the scriptures in 2 Corinthians 3. It's not 2 Corinthians, come on, Sam. <laughs> come on, people, it's the end of a long day. Give That's us right. a break. Yeah. yeah. 2 Timothy 3, where Paul says, as he talks about how Timothy learned um, um, the, the ways of God and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through mm. faith in Jesus Christ. So, well, he's talking about the entirety of the Old Testament there. He's saying the entirety of the Old Testament canon uh, and perhaps even the writings that he himself is in process of mm-hmm. authoring uh, contain wisdom in the sense that they give us uh, why, uh, good counsel on the decisions we need to make in order to um, uh, to receive the forgiveness of God and to uh, be able to live a life that is pleasing to Him in every way. So uh, that's an interesting use of wisdom there mm-hmm. in Second Timothy three. Yeah, I'm wondering is is there because I know we talked a little bit about wisdom being present with God when He created the world. Um, and now we're talking about wisdom being found in the revelation of Scripture. So God's word revealed to us contains wisdom. So is the, what, what's the correlation between um, God Himself 
and um, the and like wisdom is wisdom somehow syncing up with with the way God views things is 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 that like interesting way to talk about it or is it because I think a dry way to think about it um, unless this is right then I'll call it not dry but a dry way to think about it seems to be like well if you know all the rules and all the stories and what's right and wrong then you'll be a wise person and it kind of takes the element of God out of it. Um, but I'm just wondering is like, why do these rules exist? They stem from God himself being wise. I'm just wondering if there's a way to talk about wisdom as syncing up with the character of God. Well, undoubtedly, I mean, um, he is called the only wise God, mm. you know, interesting way of describing him. I think yeah. Paul says that of the Lord in a, in one of his doxologies. Um, and so certainly, uh, God's wisdom is, I think in Romans 11, it talks about it being unfathomable and right. beyond comprehension. In other words, God's way of going about governing this universe and bringing it to its consummation in Christ might not make sense to us, mm. but it's perfectly compatible with and consistent with the infinite insight that God himself has, um, which, which you know, you're unpacking there the kind of the nature of wisdom. I I think there's also the element of discernment mm. that is involved in wisdom. If you talk about a wise person, you say, you know, they, they just have this uncanny ability to see through the surface, the exterior of human behavior or words, and to get beneath the surface and to understand motivation and intent um, and, and the kind of the moral status of what's going on. Uh, which brings, you know, I'm just, I'm just riffing here a little bit. I'm just, all of a sudden I'm thinking about the spiritual gift, word of wisdom. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a very controversial one, and we don't. It's the only time Paul ever uses that language of a spiritual gift. He mm. never defines it, never gives us an example of it. Right. Talks about word of knowledge, word of wisdom. Um, some think that those are not revelatory gifts, but they're just uh, the utterance of what God is doing in and through Christ or how God is accomplishing his purposes Mm. through Jesus. I'm more inclined to think that there is a distinction, and the distinction, obviously, obviously Paul had a distinction between knowledge and wisdom. Sure. Word of knowledge, word of wisdom. If they were one and the same, they were synonymous, be redundant. He wouldn't have repeated himself like that. So, you know, perhaps word of knowledge is that supernaturally imparted insight Mm. that gives you information that you could not have obtained by any other means. Yeah. Wisdom would be all right. So what? <laughs> yeah. you know, what do I do with right. that knowledge? What do I? How do I put this uh, uh, into place and in, in helping shape my decisions? Uh, that to which I say yes or to what I say no. That will help me grow ever more in conformity with Jesus. Um, so those are just some thoughts. Yeah, I don't know if they're wise. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm kind of I'm, I'm wanting to try to try to distill something about wisdom that, that might be helpful, especially a biblical view of wisdom. Um, that we, we, so, so far we've talked about um, n- knowing what is right and wrong, do, doing what is right, avoiding what is wrong, to the point that we are giving God the most glory. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the practical knowledge of what God has revealed about himself, uh, we can find in the Torah, we can find in all the writings, um, we can find in the New Testament, we find consummately in Jesus. So looking at that whole picture of how God has revealed himself to us, um, and then we live according to that through the power of his spirit, which then allows us to give glory to God. So we're living our lives as God would wish in order to give him glory. Mm-hmm. That is a life that's led by wisdom. Yeah. Okay. So then what are the wisdom books doing um, to to like 
help us down that path? Are they all talking about the same type of thing? Are they all there to show us what's wise and what's unwise? I'm just curious how the books in particular, why are they called wisdom books? Yeah, that's a great question. One of the things that, that, that I just thought of, and just as you were talking there, it's important that people realize that wisdom is not law. Okay. Yeah. We had a whole session on law. Yep. Law is obviously tied to covenant. Wisdom is not. Hmm. Uh, now that doesn't mean that there might be some things unique to wisdom as it, as it is expressed in the Old Testament as over against the New. But uh, wisdom is not a thou shalt and thou shalt not hmm. that then dictates certain consequences that are immutable and uh, inevitable. So wisdom is not law. Um, I, I think when we think about the wisdom books, and I'm thinking here particularly about Proverbs and Psalms, and Psalms is really more poetic than it is wisdom, but they're both intertwined. Hmm. But wisdom, again, are general maxims. They are not specific declarations of right and wrong, although they contain um, principles of right and wrong. You just have to properly discern and interpret. But rather, um, they are saying, in essence, what I said a little bit earlier, all things being equal, here is how life tends to unfold. Here is how human behavior tends um, to be revealed and the consequences that come with it. But there are always exceptions to mm-hmm. wisdom. There, there, That's not really the case with law. For example, um, thou shalt not commit adultery. Mm. No exceptions allowed. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> None. That's a hard and fast ethical principle. But um, take the... Uh, the most famous proverb that everybody out there knows is raise up a child the way that he should go, mm-hmm. and when he's old, he will not depart from it. There are exceptions to that. Many. Yeah. yeah. And in fact, that may not even be the most proper translation of the verse. We can oh, come back yeah. to that later <laughs> if we have time. But th- there are always exceptions. Wisdom is wisdom's, wisdom is not a promise. Mm. It's, it's not an unconditional guarantee. Um, it is an attempt to look at the general flow, the general propensity of the human heart, the tendencies in human relationships, and to draw uh, maxims or principles from that observation and say, this is how life works, so pay attention to this so that you will be attuned, uh, that you will be properly aligned in your mind and your heart to God's will, but realize that things can go awry. Hmm. I'm wondering, like, because it sounds like the, the definition of wisdom we're circling around sounds a lot like Proverbs, these these general maxims yeah. that have exceptions. It sounds like Proverbs. And I'm wondering, is that is is Proverbs wisdom and everything else isn't? Or, or is wisdom something bigger that Proverbs is talking about a part of? Well, I think Proverbs is a unique subset of wisdom. Okay. In other words, wisdom is more than Proverbs. Yes. Um, because, you know, just the... the the uh, text we cited a moment ago, um, wisdom is something that's much broader, that entails an element of discernment um, that we typically associate with somebody who's mature and experienced mm. in life. Right. Uh, to, you know, you look at somebody and somebody's young person is looking for counsel or guidance, and we say, well, there's a particularly wise person, and, you know, he's been through a lot, he's seen a lot of human behavior. Uh, he's been in church life for decades, and he just seems to have a lot of discernment about these things. We would call that person wise. Mm-hmm. But Proverbs 
um, that's somewhat of a unique subset, I think, of the broader category of wisdom. And there are several characteristics about it that we need to keep in mind. I've already mentioned one, that Proverbs are not law. Right. They are not guarantees. They are not promises. I'm telling folks, if you're, I hope you're listening to this, if you open up the book of Proverbs and you read some declaration by Solomon or some other author and you kind of put your stamp on that and say, that's how I'm going to live my life and I expect every situation and circumstance to turn out <laughs> precisely as they described it, you're probably in for a rude awakening. Right. Um, wisdom uh, utterances, whether in Proverbs or elsewhere, are not historically anchored. Mm. That's another important principle to remember. Uh, very much different from narrative. Yeah. Also different from uh, prophecy and typology. And what I mean by not historically anchored is you don't find in the wisdom literature, um, uh, you might find exceptions here and there, but very right. rarely will you find a reference back to the Exodus mm -hmm. or to Moses or to the institution of a covenant or to the promises given to David. Yeah. Or I to, mean, you probably see them the most in the Psalms. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But I can't think of. I can't think off the top of my head of really any examples from Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, or Proverbs. And think about Job. Yeah, there's no, there's, there's really no covenant in Job. There's really. nothing in Job to even hint that it's Jewish. Right. Or and the only thing in Song of Songs are, I would say, allusions to different parts of the Torah. Sure, but they don't reference it explicitly. Right. They don't. That's more imagery. In other words, they it's don't. Anchored, they yeah. don't anchor the truth of what they're trying to communicate in the historical reality. Yeah. And, and I mean, and for Job, I know a lot of people think I'm getting somewhere with this, but I know a lot of people think that Job wasn't even a part of the Jewish people. Um, I, I know that's debated, yeah. but uh, I'm just curious: is like, is wisdom one of the things that is for like the broader world? Yeah. Okay. That's another characteristic. I, I got you. It, it, we call it its universality. Oh, okay. In other words, wisdom um, cuts across ethnic boundaries, mm -hmm. cultural boundaries. Unlike the law that we looked at. Sure. Yeah. Law very uniquely tied to the covenant mm -hmm. um, that is that is an operation at that time. Not so with wisdom. Um, wisdom is designed to be transnational, transcultural, uh, transtemporal, mm. transhistorical. What I mean by all those is that it can be relevant to any people of any ethnicity at any time in history regardless of the covenant on which they're operating. Now, mm -hmm. are there some exceptions to that? Well, sure, I'm, I'm sure we could find some, as you even mentioned. Uh, but generally speaking, um, they have a universal appeal mm -hmm. um, that's unlike law, unlike prophecy, uh, unlike most of the other genres in, in the Bible. Right. So then, help me, help me with this then. What is the wisdom, uh, was, what's li wisdom literature doing uh, inside of the Old Testament canon? How can we think about wisdom literature canonically when it comes to the story of the Old Testament? Well, um, there. my guess is, I'm, I'm, th I'm getting ready to say some, and I'll bet, David, you're included among them. <laughs> there are some who would say that the primary purpose of the wisdom literature is to point to Jesus. Okay. In other words, he's the embodiment of true biblical wisdom. Mm. We, we observe how he responds to criticism or how he uh, interacts with people at various socioeconomic levels in life, how he treated the woman, the, uh, the prostitute in Luke 7, or how he drove, you know, how he dealt with the religious leaders. And um, sometimes he was stern, other times he was gentle and compassionate and loving. And 
so some say that the point of wisdom literature, its function is less to uh, describe a pathway for decision-making for us mm. and more a way of saying, look, you will never be able to live up to these principles of wisdom, but guess what? There is one who has done that for you. Right. Jesus is the embodiment of wisdom. He fulfills it. He lives it out perfectly to the glory of his Father. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's a, I mean, especially when you think that, you know, in the, uh, what, the Luke 24 passage? Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, that on the road to Emmaus, I've got it right here because I knew it would come up, <laughs> uh, where it says Jesus opened. Oh, he says, uh, says he spoke to them um, everything written about him in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Um, and again, that's, and then he talks about open their minds to understand the scriptures. Mm-hmm. So the point being, that's his way of kind of, he's not trying to mention every single book of the no, Old Testament. No, he's <laughs> using shorthand for all of it. Exactly. Yeah. The old, what we call the old uh, covenant canon. Yep. All of it, in some sense, was designed to point to Jesus and to be fulfilled in his person and work. Well, you say, all right, how does that work with wisdom? Well, it's mm. It is that Jesus, and again, man, all these verses just keep coming to mind, David. I don't know if you're responsible for this or not. <laughs> I prayed I prayed too much for you today. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just wondering, what about that 1 Corinthians, yeah, 1 Corinthians 1, um, and because of, of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, mm. righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So in some sense, Jesus is to us on our behalf for us, wisdom from God. Now, that that's something we probably spend a whole podcast unpacking. Yeah, I think that's really – I mean, in, in, I, I, w- I would like you to actually dive into that because I think it's really interesting. What Maybe it may be helpful to take a step back and say what what is the wisdom of God and how, how, is it trying, how is it tried to communicate to us through the wisdom literature that maybe we failed. You said like, you know, Proverbs and uh, lays out a way of life that all of us, you know, fall short of. And so we need someone who is wisdom incarnate. Mm-hmm. Um, is that kind of the, the trail you'd follow for what it means that, that Jesus is wisdom from the Lord or? I think so. I think so. I'd have to probably explore that a little bit more because yeah. it just came off the top of my head sure. as we're sitting here. But um, I, I think so. I mean, and, and I maybe just as a little bit of a comfort and reassurance to us all, um, when you have faced certain challenging moments and you had to draw upon the best insight and discernment that you had Hmm. and you screwed up. Right. Yeah. (laughs) You just, you blew it and it blew up in your face and it was a disastrous result. And then self-condemnation and everything comes, you know, piling in on your soul. And it's good to know that but we have a substitute, one who didn't just die in our place on the cross, but he lived our life. Mm. He, he, he never uttered a word or made a decision or took a direction in ministry that was contrary to the will of his father or that somehow proved ineffective or damaging. And so I can lay hold of that. Mm. I say, Jesus has become to me wisdom. Yeah. And I'm going to rely on the fact that what I have failed to do, he has done perfectly on my behalf. Yeah, definitely. I think it's beautiful. I think that's, as, as I've been working through um, the different wisdom books, which is the next series we're going through in Spoken Gospel, 
so we just we just wrapped up. I just wrapped up writing all five of these uh, oh, poems wow. for them, and so I've been. That's all I've been thinking about for the last six months. So let me ask yeah. you questions. <laughs> yeah, right. No. And uh, and that's that's it's a place I constantly got back to. Was uh, man, these wisdom books really paint a picture of life that I cannot quite grab hold of myself. I need someone to come in and fill in the gaps. Mm. So so. I, I kind of want to like circle back around to another characteristic of wisdom that I've observed, which is mystery. Yep. There just seems to be mystery throughout the wisdom books that like in Job, you know, why, why I'm innocent. Why am I suffering? It's not the reason my friends are telling me because oh, you're sinful and you deserve it. There's got to be another answer. And the answer God gives is you can't answer. You can't answer even more simple questions, let alone this big question of why they're suffering. So there's never an answer given. It's just mystery. Well, but that in itself is an answer. Maybe yeah, right. maybe the wise answer to the <laughs> to the reason for suffering is to acknowledge that it is beyond our comprehension, yeah. that God has not revealed that to us. So make the best of your life with God's grace and power as you possibly can. Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah, I'm trying to think like Ecclesiastes. You know, Ecclesiastes tends looks looks to me like it takes the Proverbs and kind of pokes holes in it. You know, it's kind of like. Uh, Proverbs says these rules always work, but it doesn't. It didn't work here, and it didn't work here, and it didn't work here, yeah. and it kind of pokes holes in in the mystery, like you were talking about. These are these aren't hard and fast laws; they're general axioms. And then Ecclesiastes comes along as someone who has fell through the holes in Proverbs, in a sense, and has kind of said, like, I've been at the bottom, and I and I've, right. I've seen that there are holes, and there's mystery in the wisdom of God and how He runs His universe. And Ecclesiastes kind of meets us at the bottom and says, like, have hope in mystery. Yeah, uh, yeah. Can you think of any other things about mystery? In well, the, in the, well, in the I'm just thinking of more characteristics of wisdom mm, literature. Yeah, and maybe we can dive into the Psalms as well. If we're, if we're oh, gonna, yeah, because uh, I don't think we're going to do a separate podcast nope, on the Psalms. I don't think so. Yeah, so it might be good to touch on a little bit of that because they're typically involved uh, included in the wisdom literature. But one thing that people should know about it is that wisdom literature oftentimes appeals to what we call natural theology more so than other books. Mm. And what I mean by that is they will appeal. Uh, to nature just from routine observations of behavior in the animal kingdom um, and in uh, the natural creation to draw analogies for us mm-hmm. about how to live and what lessons we can learn from. You think about Proverbs directing us to the ant, for example. Oh, right. Look to uh, the ant, you sluggard. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing about wisdom literature, they are almost... To- and now, we we got to separate the Psalms here from from the others. But wisdom literature generally is almost devoid of eschatology. Oh, sure. The Psalms have a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. So wisdom literature is primarily designed to answer the question, why are we here, not where are we going? Mm. And how is it all going to you know, pan out in the end? So mm-hmm. you don't go to the wisdom literature to uh, establish your eschatological beliefs about the uh, consummation of God's kingdom. Right. I, I'm reminded even, I think that's one of the, if you want to blend a couple of, of uh categories here of mystery and the lack of eschatology i feel like song of songs does that really well whenever it gets to the end uh and you've gone through these cycles of the the beloved coming to the woman over and over again but then having these moments of absence and nearness absence and nearness and then the book ends and the lover's still far away and she's waiting and it's like, well, how's the, how's it going to end? How you know how is yeah. Israel going to get out of exile? You know, is the king going to come? We don't know. And so it kind of leaves the, eschatolo- the eschatology out of the equation and just puts mystery in its place. Right. And like that's wisdom is trusting God while in the waiting. Yeah, yeah. 
Mate, let's just take a few minutes here before we end, because I don't know how much time we have left, and talk about the Psalms. Okay, since great. They are part of wisdom literature, and again, a more kind of a subset of it, poetry. Mm-hmm. But um, the, one of the things about the Psalms, and I think I think most Christians who read the Psalms, and I think all Christians probably do, know this implicitly, but they don't have categories or words for it. Namely, that there are differing kinds of Psalms. Right that have to be read in differing ways. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I just wrote down, let's see, there's praise psalms, mm-hmm. lament, thanksgiving, celebration, wisdom, penitential psalms, that is just declarations of repentance, mm-hmm. and imprecatory psalms. The fun ones. Yeah. And so, um, you know, the lament psalms are some of my favorites yeah. because they're very much like Job. Mm-hmm. And basically there are three parts to every lament psalm. It's, I'm hurting, they're winning, God, you don't care. Yeah, <laughs> That's what right. you'll find. You'll find the psalmist saying, um, I, I am, I'm desperate, I'm in pain, I'm being persecuted, and my enemies are surrounding me, and they seem to prevail, and where are you, God, in the mm-hmm. midst of all this? Well, that's a different tone uh, than what you will read in the psalms of celebration and praise. I mean, you, don't, you read Psalms 148, 149, and 150, and it's just no, but praise him from the heavens, right. praise him from the ocean depths, praise him wind and hail and snow and, and rain, and praise him with tambourine and lyre and dancing. Well, that's a lot different from what you might read in Psalm 13, for example, which is yeah. an incredible psalm, which is basically, how, how long, long, O Lord? Lord? <laughs> yeah. And so we need to recognize those differences. Um, the imprecatory psalms, um, the psalms of imprecation, if people aren't familiar with that, uh, it basically, it's it's where the psalmist calls down the judgment and wrath of God upon his enemies, mm-hmm. upon God's enemies. Um, now, imprecations are are woven in and out of all the psalms. So, for or not all, but a lot of them. For example, Psalm one thirty nine, great psalm of God's attributes of celebrating His presence, His power, and yet at the very end, do I not hate those who hate you? I hate them with a perfect hatred. You know. Like, Whoa, go, where'd that come from? Golly, David, where'd you just go off the rails on us there? <laughs> we were just taking a stroll in the park. and Yeah, yeah. but it's interesting. I mean, there's so many. Uh, in fact, it might even be worth our while to do a whole podcast on just mm-hmm. on the imprecatory psalms. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Um, because people don't know what to do with them. Right. Um, you know, the one I'm asked about, obviously, Psalm 137, about um, blessed is the one who dashes their babies against, against the, the rocks. rocks. What in... Is this just, you know, people like C.S. Lewis, who loved the Bible, said, this ain't good. This is just simply not God's will for us. This is the psalmist uh, had a, you know, a, a lost control over his, uh, his temperament. Um, and, and then, of course, there are those who want to take it very literally and say we ought to be praying the imprecations even today in our local churches. Well, there, there's some statements in the book of Revelation that might give you warrant for that. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting. One of the things that's important to keep in mind, um, is that generally, I don't know if there's an exception to this or not. Um, and David is responsible for most of the imprecatory Psalms. Mm -hmm. He doesn't give expression to them as an, as personal vengeance. Mm. It's not, I have been mistreated. Therefore I want you to mistreat them in response, Lord, but rather, God, they have mistreated you. They have defamed your name. They have blasphemed you. They are your enemies. Uh, do I not hate those who hate 
you. He doesn't mm. say, do I not hate those who hate me? Right. So in other words, he takes up the cause of God and calls for God to do what God has promised to do because mm. God promises in scripture. I'm going to hold accountable the wicked. Every word that comes out of your mouth, uh, blasphemy or whatever, um, you will be judged. And it's basically the psalmist at simply saying to God, I'm going to pray now that you would actually come through and do what you've promised to do to your enemies mm. on the final day. So we need to keep that in mind as well, because otherwise people really get derailed by the imprecations. Yeah. Is there a way to that you can help us kind of tie the Psalms into, like, why do they belong in the wisdom tradition? Uh, you know, why are they there? How, are, how do they lead us into the wisdom of God to, to know his mind for us so we might give him glory? Yeah, that's a good question. Um it almost seems as if they should be in a category of their own. I mean, I want to acknowledge scholars who put them under wisdom wisdom literature, but uh, poetry is just a. I mean, you're a poet, you know <laughs> yeah. this. It's a different animal altogether, um, and there are so many raw emotions that are expressed in the Psalms that we have, we do have to be careful that we don't assume that simply because a psalmist felt something and said something that it's permissible for us to. Mm-hmm. Um, because there are, I mean, you think of is it Psalm 88, I believe, that is one dark, dismal lament, and there's no, no hope. hope. Yeah. All the other psalms of lament at least end on... But I trust you. Yeah, I or, trust but you. But you're good. Or you're good. Yeah. Or in, in the final day, I will celebrate you among the people Nothing of God. Nothing in 88. Oh, yeah. my gosh, it's just depressing. <laughs> Um, so we we do have to be careful in that regard. Um, I think the totality of the psalms together help help that. Yeah, you know, yeah. But there's also there's also wise counsel in mm-hmm. them. There's practical advice. Uh, but it is it is rightfully called the hymn book of Israel because mm-hmm. it is primarily celebration declaration. Um, one thing that differentiates, and we you mentioned this a moment ago that sets the Psalms apart from some of the other wisdom literature is that many of them are historically anchored. Right. Um, uh, and you, you need to know where David was in his life and what was going on to really make sense of what he's saying in the Psalm. Yeah, big time. Um, like two examples. And by the way, this, this calls into question the so-called subheadings Subscri- yes, yeah. or the super, sub, superscriptions. superscriptions. Yeah. yeah. Um, people wonder, are the superscriptions inspired canonical scripture and the answer is no but boy they are helpful mm-hmm. and in other words there there's every reason to trust their reliability unless having strong you know evidence for not right so let me give two quick examples mm-hmm. psalm 3 um, the superscription says this is when david was fleeing from absalom when absalom was trying to usurp the throne and it's where david says um you know, oh, Lord, you are the lifter of my head. You are my glory. You are at my right hand. And you, you just have to understand how David felt the shame that had overwhelmed him at the fact, not just that somebody was trying to take his authority and his throne, but it was his own son. Mm. Or Psalm 51, you know, the <laughs> I love, I, every time I preach this, I make this point. Can you imagine that... Um, we would uh, now this that uh, we would come into a church service and before we sing one of our songs or a hymn, we plaster up on the video screen uh, a declaration of the sins of the senior pastor or somebody else in the church. Oh man! And then we sing. Well, that's what Psalm fifty-one does. It says, 
after Nathan had confronted mm-hmm. David when he had gone into Bathsheba. Right. So it said, basically he says, this is a psalm about how David had illicit sex with a woman who wasn't his wife. I mean, but if you don't know that Psalm 51 was David's plea for forgiveness and mm-hmm. repentance following the sin with Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite, her husband, you won't you won't grasp the significance of what's mm-hmm. going on there. Yeah. And it's really good. Yeah, this was, yeah, those those are very helpful to anchor us in those historical moments. And one yeah. other thing, just yeah. to mention real quickly, a multitude of the Psalms, some believe it's more than others, are messianic. And sometimes you can't see this by reading them um, because you're saying, now, wait a minute. Is, is, is David talking about himself <laughs> and his own personal experience and feelings, right. or is he talking about the coming Messiah, the true son of the true David. Um, and, and, and sometimes that's difficult to discern. Now, we do have some hinter, helpful points in the New Testament mm-hmm. where we're told, but many of the Messianic Psalms are implicit. And uh, you have to really you have to really read carefully to, to tease out the full intent behind the psalmist writing. Yeah, definitely. I think even Jesus kind of played with that a little bit when he put that riddle before the Pharisees. When he's like, so what did David mean when he said, the Lord said to my Lord, yeah. I'll make, you know, sit at my right hand or I can't remember. Exactly, like, yeah. yeah. It's like, what did he mean? Who was yeah. he talking about? Was he talking about David or someone else? And how could he call him Lord? It's like, yeah. that. it's a head scratcher. Some of the Messianic Psalms are, are head scratchers. They uh, are. Um so I think that's all really helpful. I think another thing that might link the the Psalms to the wisdom tradition, uh, I think of Psalm 1 and how, you know, he's talking about the blessed man who meditates on the Torah day and night is like a, a man who sits by a stream and he's nourished by that that stream and he, his you know fruit blooms in in its season. And um, I'm just like, I, I feel like there's some kind of connection that the Psalms, you know, it has a lot of historical Psalms in there too, where they repeat the good works of God and his past faithfulness mm-hmm. and it calls us to lean upon what he's done in the Torah uh, and then what he will do in the future. And so I just feel like there's also this link in, you know, wisdom uh, often, uh, even if it's not repeating historical events, it's often calling back to us the goodness of God. And and there's pictures of that throughout. And so I'm wondering if there's some link between how the Psalms help us remember what God has done and if there's wisdom in that. Yeah. Anyway. Well, you know, there are several Psalms that that read like historical narrative yes. because what they do is they just rehearse the history of Israel mm-hmm. from really from the Exodus up until entrance into the the promised land and all the things that happened, how Israel misbehaved and how God dealt with them. So uh, oftentimes they are more historically rooted than, than the wisdom literature is. Yeah. Well, man, there's a lot. I wish we could kind of take a little time for each book and, and talk about how, you know, what distinct uh, contribution it makes to the wisdom canon and inside of the canon, in, in a sense. Uh, we kind of got to talk at length about Proverbs and Psalms and talked about how Ecclesiastes pokes holes and how Job helps us with the mystery of suffering and how Song of Solomon points us more to the future of like, well, is the king going to come? I don't know. There's mystery there. So we kind of got to touch on, on a little bit of everything. Uh, but this has been helpful. If you were going to give people kind of one last toolkit as they go into the wisdom literature. Uh, I mean, these these episodes were titled them How to Read the Blank, you yeah. know, How to Read the Bible. Uh, h- how do we read wisdom literature? Oh, very carefully. <laughs> <laughs> and I say that because, honestly, um, if I've seen one mistake made, it, and we, talked, I, we touched on this at length at the beginning of this podcast, it is that people have 
approached the wisdom literature as if it were law or promise or guarantee. Um, and that, you know, that, and then when things don't work out the way they had hoped and they're, they're in the midst of a very painful exception mm-hmm. to the otherwise general principle, they question God's goodness. Mm. They said, Lord, did you lie to me? Right. You know, if I, I tried to raise up my child in the way he should go, but he or she is, is now a prodigal deviated from the truth, hates Jesus. Mm. I guess that must mean I didn't raise my child in the right. way he should go. I failed as a parent when in fact or you failed as God. Yeah. Or yeah. you failed as God. So I would just say, um, I don't think there's anyone overall general rule other mm-hmm. than to be careful that you don't turn these maxims into, um, rigid laws that admit of no exceptions. Yep. And you just have to keep that in mind. I think it's really helpful. And I think reading the totality of wisdom literature is really helpful there because if you just confine yourself to reading a proverb a day, you might find yourself falling into that trap of thinking these are laws and maxims that must always be true. Uh, but if you allow Ecclesiastes to speak into that, and if you allow Job's suffering to come along and speak into that, you know, it starts to balance itself out. If you allow to like lament with David, you know, you kind of get a wider range of wise language uh, to, to bring to your vocabulary and your understanding of God. I think the totality of wisdom literature is really helpful. Yeah. Um, and then I think I'd reiterate what you said earlier about um, looking at wisdom as um, typological of Jesus, that um, if you sometimes read read uh, read wisdom, you're like, man, I'm just not this wise, or I'm just not this good. Definitely pray that the Holy Spirit would give you wisdom and would lead you down the path of righteousness, but also remember that Jesus has been that wise man for you, that he has uh, taken the death that you've earned for you, and that he has he will um, do what the Lady Wisdom in Proverbs promises to do, that if anybody will turn to me and listen, I will pour my spirit into them. Jesus does that for us. We turn to him, right. he gives us his spirit, which is a wise spirit that gives us the mind of Christ to do the things that he would do. So, um, I, yeah, look to Christ as you read uh, the wisdom literature as well. Well, thank you uh, uh, for this. I think this has been really helpful. It's been a fun discussion, very different from the law and the narrative discussions yeah. for sure. As I, uh, it's, as I, it's more slippery. It's more slippery. It is really. Yeah, slippery. that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I like that conceptually. Yeah, it's a little more slippery. Um, I'm very curious how our talk next week on the prophetic literature will go. I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that. So you guys will want to make sure to turn for that. But in the meantime, we hope you have a great week and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Bridgeway Podcast, where you will find a new conversation every Thursday. For more information about Bridgeway Church, we invite you to visit bridgewaychurch.com, or you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at BridgewayOKC, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash bridgewaychurchOKC. If you have any questions that you would like us to address on the podcast, feel free to email us at podcast at bridgewaychurch.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, please consider leaving us a review on the podcast app as it helps other people like you find our program. So on behalf of all the pastors and staff here at Bridgeway Church, I'm David Bowden saying thanks for listening and we will see you next week.